Welcome to episode 10 of the Seeking the Military Suicide Solution podcast brought to you by Military Times. I'm Dwayne France. And I'm Doc Shauna Springer. And we'd like to thank you for taking the time to learn more about suicide in the military-affiliated population. If you think you know somebody who might be interested in getting involved and listening to the show, share this episode with them. Tag them on social media, send them an email with the link, or just tell them about it the next time you meet for coffee. You can see all of the shows by going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash STMSS. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Mill Media Group. Mill Media Group is a proven web design and digital media agency specializing in supporting organizations focusing on the military population. Find out more about them at MillMediaGroup.com. Thanks again to everybody for joining us to listen to an honest conversation about service member veteran and military family suicide. We'd also like you to join us on our Facebook group moderated by fellow combat veteran D. James. You can find the group by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash group. In order to talk about solutions to the suicide in the military and veteran population, we need to have conversations with those who have lived experience. Our guests today certainly fall into that category. Shauna, what can you tell us about Howard and Jean? Yes, Dr. Howard and Mrs. Jean Summers are a force of nature. After their beloved son, Daniel, died by suicide in 2013, they turned their energy towards advocacy on behalf of those who serve in our military. During their first of what would be several testimonies to support legislative change, without raising the volume of their voice, they said this, get used to us because we're not going away. Fueled by grief, which is love, and a desire to protect others from the suffering that they have, they have remained fixed on the course they set for themselves. And due to their steadfast advocacy, they've played a critical role in the passage of new laws that honor the legacy of their son's service. For example, the Sergeant Daniel Summers Network of Support Act will allow service members and veterans to voluntarily specify networks of support that include non-military loved ones who should be educated about life in the military and made aware of benefits available to military service members and veterans. I met Howard and Jean four years ago and have since considered them friends and partners in the work of bringing warriors all the way home. Yes, uh, I absolutely agree. Um, Howard and Jean um, are, you know, we, we call it ubiquitous, right? They're, they're everywhere and they are seen as uh, experts, not because of any acquired knowledge um, in the academic sense, but acquired knowledge in the lived experience sense. And, and they're amazing, and it was great to be able to talk to them. We'll get into the conversation and come back afterwards to pull out the key points. How do we get ahead of this issue? Some legislation named after your son was just included in the uh, National Defense Authorization Act, which from what I see includes some proactive measures to address these issues. Uh, absolutely. Our whole issue was that as parents of a married service member, we were totally cut off from information unless Daniel or his wife shared it with us. Our thought process was, well, what if you could get the information directly to you? When we first looked at Military OneSource as a potential resource, we went online and it was really messy. I mean, you could put in PTSD or something and 
you know, all kinds of information would come up. And then recently, within say like a year ago, I went in again and I put in basic training army and these videos came up and they were videos that showed week by week, basically what a service member was doing in, in boot camp or a basic training. And I thought, wow, this is great. I wish I had had this information when Daniel was in, because then our conversations would have been totally different. Then I could say, oh, I see you did this. How did you feel about that? What was that like? The whole questioning is different. You're basically at, at the mercy of your loved one to help explain things to you. And you will have um, access to information and links uh, to explain what the whole military experience is. And not only what the experience is, but the issues that can arise during the military experience and then how to recognize them, how to deal with them, and what resources are available both to you and to the service member. And this is all from the standpoint of we had no idea how to approach our son, how to talk to our son when he was going through so much of what he was going through. So that part from DOD is now the law. So it's a pilot program. Only those who are first signing up through MEPS or through basic training will have the opportunity to give the names and those people will be getting the information. What's happening now, the same program is being initiated at VA. So when the service members are going through their transition reintegration process, they will have the opportunity to submit the names of those they're closest with. And those people also will be getting all the information from VA with regards to VA services and resources. So we're really hoping that of those who surround our veterans are aware of the services that VA offers, we're going to impact uh, many issues very, very successfully. You know, that's very interesting. And, and really two things I'm hearing there. First, Gene, you were talking about the concept of shared background knowledge. This, this idea that if we have a common understanding of the basic principles, then we can go beyond that. And to hear that from someone who was not military other than when Daniel joined. I'm listening and I'm thinking of my own mother when I joined. It's very compelling to say that we need to have this shared background knowledge so that we can get beyond just that basic fact-finding information. And then Howard, you were talking about that support network and research shows that the more supportive uh, individuals in the veteran's life, the more likely they're to take take advantage of therapy, those two things, one, putting the support network in place and then giving them the shared background knowledge, that's what I hear that you're advocating for. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what we're hoping for, that those who surround our service members and veterans, those that have their well-being and their best interests at heart, will be very much behind the effort to have them search for and take advantage of the uh, programs that are available. We're also hoping to bring in knowledge of, for example, clergy, because we know that many service members will not seek help or will not talk to medical personnel because medical personnel actually report to the command structure and clergy does not. If you speak to a mental health provider and you tell them about your feelings, you're depressed, you 
you've got these kind of symptoms, but you're not a danger, it still doesn't matter. From what we understand, you are still liable to lose your security clearance or lose flight privileges and things like that. But if you talk to a member of the clergy, that's not going to happen. Just to add on to what Howard said, Daniel really was entitled to certain benefits, but we've talked to a lot of veterans who don't necessarily think that they should put more burden on the VA or, or whoever it is that they're going to be seeing because they're not hurt badly enough. You know, it's, it's like, well, there are people that are worse off than they are. You know, and that's something critical. And even at Daniel's story, this is something that, that the two of you um, have firsthand experience with Daniel. I, I see that I think it was during his first tour, he was eligible for two Purple Hearts, but he turned him down because he felt he wasn't injured enough. The veterans that I see as a mental health counselor, you know, they say, well, I've got 10 fingers, 10 toes, there's nothing wrong with me. There's this myth of limited resources in that if I am taking up some resources, whether it's a therapist's time or whether it's educational benefits or or even the financial benefits, that if I'm taking this, then that belongs to somebody else and another one of my brothers or sisters might not get it. I agree. That's a, a mindset that needs to change in the veteran and, and the family member population to help advocate for the veteran. Well, we advocated for Daniel to take his Purple Heart. I mean, he had, you know, loss of consciousness. He had tinnitus as a result of the one time that we know for sure that he was blown down into the Humvee uh, because of the IED explosion. But like you said, you know, he didn't feel he was hurt bad enough. And he felt that it just wasn't something that he he um, deserved. We, on the other hand, felt entirely the opposite, but there's nothing we could do to, to change his mind. And again, that brings up uh, another issue, and that is the issue of moral injury. And another reason why we feel so strongly that chaplains should really be utilized more. We know the, the San Francisco VA um, is now attempting to really pull out moral injury from PTSD. It, it would be nice to be able to try to pull that out a little bit more because there are so many overlaps between TBI, PTSD, and moral injury, which Daniel had all three of those. So I would imagine to try as a mental health provider to try to help our son would have been incredibly difficult. Well, I think that if that mental health provider only thought PTSD and TBI were the only two things that Daniel might have been experiencing, then yes, they would have been diagnosing the wrong illness. I am absolutely a proponent of uh, moral injury as you talk about the Palo Alto VA there, Dr. Shiram again, had been on my previous show. Daniel, as, and as an intelligence analyst or a human intelligence um, analyst, I have worked with some human and, and special forces and medics, and the moral implications of some of the things that they do are just as challenging as the traumatic events that occur in PTSD. Since you've lost Daniel in 2013, the two of you have really looked to advocate and, and really get involved with suicide prevention. You were presenting, as I understand, at the Suicide Prevention Conference in 2019, the VA DOD Suicide Prevention Conference. And so from, again, a family with lived experience, what do you see actually works when it comes to preventing suicide in the veteran population? Nothing's really working at this point. Society, suicide is up. 
active duty suicides are up. In a nutshell, unless we address this as a societal issue, we're never going to make any progress within the military or the veteran population. One, one of the things that we really do like that has the American Association of Nurses has started, and I believe Caitlin Thompson mentioned this on her show, is the, that ask the question. Now, we like to say the question should be, have you ever worn a uniform? Because it brings in first responders also, which we're seeing, you know, now we're really starting to look at their numbers. And I think that that would uh, really help. It just doesn't, it's been around for quite a while and it just doesn't seem to have gotten the traction and we're not sure why. We know why. Right. The idea, the question is, providers are afraid to ask the question, you know, if you're going to somebody at VA or DOD facility, it's a given. But if you're going to in the community and that question is being asked, they're afraid to get a positive answer because number one, they're not familiar with the whole idea of having served or what the issues could be. And number two, because of the limited time available for any one visit, once you start having to go through the whole question tree of, okay, now you served, when did you serve? Did you see conflict? If you saw conflict, were you exposed to noxious gases or traumatic events and things like that? It becomes a whole big deal. What we have found out is that that question is actually included in most of the electronic medical records that are out there. The problem is the default is off. And what we would like to see is, as Jean said, this becomes what's called a meaningful use question so that it's like taking a blood pressure or weighing somebody. If that information is not documented in the chart, that you have asked that question, you don't get paid for that visit. The other piece of that is that if the question is answered yes, obviously that's going to take more time for the health provider because that automatically meant it was going to be a more intensive visit. And those are examples of what the two of you have done to take action after Daniel's death by suicide. The two of you have been banging the gong of awareness for well over five years now. I, I think we're beyond awareness. What action steps can individuals take? Can communities take? What action steps can be taken to address this issue? Well, again, that, that ask the question thing, we have started asking our own physicians and we've told family members and, and friends, you know, when you go in to see your doctor, ask them, do they know how many veterans are in their practice? And if they don't, mention this to them. Just like, do you, do you ask this? And if you don't, why not? Don't you think this is important? After the break, Howard and Gene and I talk about some things they think need to change in order to make an impact on suicide in the military affiliate population. Hi, I'm Melissa Mosier. I'm a local Army spouse, daughter, sister, and a proud team member of Mill Media. I'm here at our headquarters at the Great Fort Head, Texas. Mill Media is a military-affiliated team that wants to serve you the way that you served our country. With mostly military retirees, veterans, and families as our staff, we understand the military mindset. 
Millmedia is the one place that prioritizes your goals above all else, which you will see from our incredible customer service. With over 25 years of experience, we work with everyone from startups, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and nonprofits. Millmedia Group is the digital division of Top Search Business Solutions that specializes as a web design and digital marketing platform. So visit our website today for a free website analysis so that you can sit back, relax, and let us give you the perfect online presence. To hear more about what Mill Media is doing and will continue to do, call me today at 254-554-0974 or visit our website. That's millmediagroup.com. So call me whenever you're ready. We, we really feel that, as has been brought up many times, that, and as you mentioned already, parity is so important. And not only parity with regards to treating mental, uh, mental issues as we treat physical issues, where when a child goes to the pediatrician, they are being asked, how do you feel? And mom is aware that these questions are going to be asked because only by broaching that subject from the very beginning, are we going to make an impact as we all get older? The other issue with regards to parity is financial and reimbursement for mental health providers. We are not going to make a dent in the problem unless we increase the number of mental health providers in our country. And we're never going to do that until we increase the reimbursement for mental health providers. Daniel lost a provider who couldn't afford to stay in practice. This is something else that we broached as part of the prevent task force that we need to absolutely increase the number of mental health providers in this country. I, I know it's not exactly what you ask what people can do, but I think that we really need to address these issues. As an individual person, you cannot be afraid to talk to someone who you feel might be in crisis or might be in danger. And so somehow we have to educate folks in the community to not be afraid to approach someone, not be afraid to use the word, do harm to yourself and address the issue as it presents itself, not look back and say, gee, I wish I would have said something or I could have done or said something in that situation. One of the things that uh, we learned uh, shortly after Daniel's death was uh, a very, very Im important question. Everybody these days, you know, you see somebody, you know, you go, hey, how you doing? And you're not really asking, how are you doing? So one of the things that we asked our family and friends to do after we lost Daniel was to ask us, how are you doing today? It's an entirely different question. It means I'm ready to stop and listen. I don't think that that just applies to people who have lost a loved one, who've had a death. It applies to everybody these days. I, I, I myself went into a, a spiral of depression back in 2016, and I hid it from Howard. I hid it from my family, hid it from my friends, but one of my friends noticed something was off. And the day after we were together in a group of people, she called me. And she said, Jean, are you okay? And the fact that she took time out of her day to make that call and ask me that told me that she was concerned. And I, I just wrote down, I said, no, I'm not. Had it not been for that call, who knows where I would be today? That's how important it is. 
we we need to start really reconnecting with people at that level. And I think in both of those, and Howard, you were talking about what can communities do, and those are legislative and even policy level things that absolutely need to be done. And then the individual thing of just being connected to each other. And as I'm hearing you and obviously knowing your passion for the subject, even your passion has really has, has developed because of the incident, you know, because you, you had lost Daniel and we're trying to prevent others from experiencing what you've experienced or so many of us have experienced in losing a loved one or a fellow service member. Can we just talk to you about a couple of other really quick things? All right. The one thing is the issue, and because Daniel was National Guard, this issue is very dear to us. It's the fact that in order to be eligible, in order to be considered a veteran and eligible for VA, National Guardsmen and Reserve have to have served six months of an active deployment at any one time in in a single stretch before they're considered veterans. So you can be a reservist, and that includes National Guard for 20 years, and you're not considered a veteran. National Guard itself is having a huge issue with with suicide. And we feel that that's an issue that has to be addressed. Um, Somehow, maybe, you know, if you've been a guardsman for five years or six years or 10 years, whatever it is, there's got to be some way that you're eligible for VA because you have made that commitment. You could have been activated for five months and and 25 days, but because it's not six months, you're not eligible for veteran status. And we think that's a a tragedy and and has to be fixed. The other issue that we are very concerned about, the whole transition reintegration issue, we really feel that we're not preparing our service members for civilian life after we have created warriors out of them. We are not helping to we adjust them to the civilian community. And we really feel that there has to be a time at the end of their military careers to create or recreate civilians. That's something that I have advocated for a long time. Gene, you had mentioned you can go online and you can see videos of week by week what happens with boot camp, how we create service members, how we indoctrinate and and assimilate them into this culture. You're not going to find those same videos on the way out. That just, it doesn't happen. A colleague of mine, Dr. Larry Decker, he calls it an incomplete transformation, right? You go from a civilian to a warrior to a service member, and then there's a further transformative step that needs to happen um, that doesn't. But in my own experience, I was a first sergeant of, essentially it's a med hold company, but this was back in 2010 when there were a large number of exiting service members even more here at Fort Carson in Colorado than the Warrior Transition Battalion could hold. Myself and a cadre of about six or so helped manage these service members throughout a year. And that's what they did is, yes, they were separated from their unit. They were not part of their unit. We ensured that they still maintained all of the military discipline and standard, which they wanted to do. But we also treated them like individuals, and they had the opportunity to transition You know, they were able to go on job interviews, they were able to work on their resumes, they were able to go to school. I mean, all of these different things while we were still in and every single one of my soldiers who went through that process that I've spoke to said that that made 
a huge difference when it came to them getting out of the army. So I am absolutely on board with a reverse transformation process. Howard, Gene, I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about your experience and hopefully it does some good. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for what you're doing. Absolutely. I'd heard about Howard and Gene a lot, and it was really great to be able to, to sit down and have a conversation with them. Uh, as we talked before, there was actually a lot more to our conversation than we were able to have in the show. Uh, and, and they were a guest that we could really talk for, for hours about this. So what did you think about our conversation? I mean, yes, I thought it was so important. And I'm so glad that we're bringing on um, people that are representing a range of perspectives. You know, we've brought on a number of thought leaders um, and a type of thought leader is those with lived experience that have really invested their energy in the work of suicide prevention. Um, and certainly Howard and Jean Somers are a critical case of that. Um, so the first point I wanted to emphasize was that post-traumatic stress and moral injury are indeed not the same thing. I'll be unpacking this in much greater detail in my next book, Warrior, which will be out the 1st of May. But for now, here are a few thoughts about key differences between post-traumatic stress and moral injury. A service member or veteran may have post-traumatic stress, moral injury, or both. The mental state of someone with PTS is that of someone who feels unsafe. They feel that the world is not safe and that others can't be trusted. PTS has a strong biological component. Patients are often chronically activated, flooded with anxiety or flashes of sudden rage, which is often how warriors express anxiety. People exist in a state of what I call chronic threat response that is paired with a biological alteration that Special Forces Colonel and Doc Jim Lynch calls dysfunctional sympathetic tone. Moral injury has some overlapping symptoms with post-traumatic stress, but the clinical picture is not the same. A person with moral injury feels somehow tainted, stained, or contaminated. The clinical picture of someone with moral injury is that of a cancerous form of shame that metastasizes over time if the moral injury is not addressed. To be clear, the presence of shame does not mean that someone has done something that they should be ashamed of. Just as PTS can be seen as an injury that can occur after exposure to a trauma, moral injury can happen to us in the same way. Further, shame can be socially transmitted from one person to another and from one group to another group of people. The treatment for PTS and moral injury are not the same because the roots of each are not the same. Although I've never talked about this with the Somers, I was greatly encouraged to hear them talking about their advocacy efforts around distinguishing between PTS and moral injury. In my belief, getting a handle on what moral injury is and training healers in how to address moral injury is going to be critical to advancing the care of military service members and veterans. What do you think, Dwayne? No, I absolutely agree. Uh, there is some discussion about whether or not moral injury is a component of PTSD or, or, or as you said, it is separate. Something I've been talking about for years as well. Um, when I discuss every, every client that I see, um, I go through uh, the comprehensive veteran mental health model in which we talk about some of these different issues. The way I describe it is, you know, TBI obviously is a physical injury. It's a physical injury to the brain. Um, 
PTSD is a behavioral injury. I mean, it's much more complicated than that, but it's sort of this Pavlovian thing of a trigger happens and I have a behavioral response. And there is a, uh, you know, again, a neurological response to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then with, uh, in, in having conversations with Dr. Ed Tick, and moral injury is an injury of the soul, right? What we believe to be right and wrong with the world has been fundamentally changed. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to veterans about moral injury, often it's the first time that they've heard it. Uh, but I had one veteran say, well, I feel like Ben Franklin, electricity was always there. I just discovered it. And so moral injury, especially with veterans, um, is becoming a critical part of what I talk about in therapy. Well, you know, sometimes I think also people don't really understand what moral injury is because in the early literature and theory, it was really equated to um, something that happened when people committed atrocities of war. And certainly that can be something that causes moral injury, but it's such a much bigger thing than that. And it doesn't imply that somebody did something that uh, doesn't align with their moral code. So yeah, I know this has been a big focus for both of us, and I'm really glad to see that the Somers are also on the, on the track there. Um, the second thing I wanted to say, instead of discussing another point made by the Somers, I'm inspired to issue a challenge to everyone who's listening to the podcast. In therapy training, uh, people like Dwayne and I were encouraged to ask open-ended questions, questions that give people room to share. The question, how are you, is an open-ended question that invites a closed-ended response. In other words, as Jean points out, it's not a question that invites a real answer. I really liked what Jean said about the difference between the question, how are you, and the question, how are you today? As she pointed out, how are you is part of our general social script. It's a phrase that invites responses like, I'm good, or I'm fine. Um, even when this may not be the case. On the other hand, how are you today is an entirely different question, one which, as Jean points out, opens space for a full range of responses. I'd like to issue this challenge in honor of Howard and Jean's guiding mission. Every day for the next two weeks, try asking someone in your life the question, how are you today? And give them the gift of an opening to talk about what is real and true for them. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and, and as I was thinking about what Howard and really what Gina talked about there is we're not doing that to the barista we're buying coffee from, right? Or the, I mean, yes, we want to be able to engage with people, but we're not going up to total strangers and looking them in the face and saying, you know, tell me about your, 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 your challenges. <laughs> right. Um, we're, we're doing this to our, our children and our spouses and our friends. Uh, the way I describe it to veterans that I work with is, is almost metaphorically or maybe even literally you know, putting your hand on somebody's shoulder and looking them in the eye and saying, I truly care about you, right? You know, it's not one of these throwaway, how are you doing? And let's get on. It's not an icebreaker to get onto the rest of the conversation. It is the conversation. And I think a lot of people don't consider that. Yes, we have tribes in our lives. We have different groups of people that are circles of trust. And, you know, some of them, the military certainly is a tribe. There is also your home front tribe. And Howard and Jean have done a great deal of work connecting service members and veterans more fully with their home front tribe. And so this, as you said, Dwayne, is a question that you would ask somebody that um, you already have a level of trust and connection with to let them know that you really do care about what their real status is and, and how they're doing. Yeah, I've had uh, colleagues who um, 
this kind of exercise is scroll through the contact list on your phone, right? We just, the contact list populates automatically and, and just randomly scroll through there and find somebody that you haven't talked to in a while and, and reach out to them or, you know, send them a text or, or, you know, any way that you can communicate. We have a lot of ways to communicate, but connecting with somebody in that way that you just, you know, randomly, the universe has a way of making things happen. Um, and, and one of my colleagues, she says, when I do this at conferences or during keynotes and somebody will come up to me or they'll send me a, an email like a week later saying, Hey, you know, I, I, the person that I reached out to said, you didn't know how much I needed this on this day or at this moment. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. This is going to be, I think, a theme in, in future episodes as well, if I had to guess. Right. Yes. Uh, I really appreciated uh, that point. Just in, and this is, like you said, it's been a theme. Uh, you know, I think back to Cicely talking about, you know, we just need to be nicer to each other, just people to people and the people to people to interactions. We actually just had that conversation uh, not too long ago in our Facebook group uh, where somebody was describing how they had a personal intervention with a veteran. Um, and, and it's beyond the national stuff, behind, beyond the community stuff, but the person-to-person interaction, that's really how this is actually going to be solved. Yep, totally agree. Yes, uh, so thank you everybody for joining us once again to talk about Seeking the Military Suicide Solution. Make sure to check out the show notes at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash STMSS10. You can get the links to the things we talked about in this episode, as well as finding the show on militarytimes.com. As a reminder, you can ask us questions or let us know what you thought about the show by going to our Facebook group moderated by the outstanding D. James by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash group. While you're at it, check out our sponsors, Mill Media Group. They're a web design and digital media agency with over 25 years of experience in supporting service members, veterans, and their families. They specialize in working with startups, small businesses, entrepreneurs, nonprofits, and city and state and local governments. As a veteran-owned business, they're uniquely qualified to work with those who want to reach an audience in the military and veteran community. If you have a dream or a vision, they can help bring it to life and get you in front of your audience. You can contact them at 254-554-0974 or find them online at millmediagroup.com. Just a reminder that the guests and reflections on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional advice. While Dwayne and I are mental health professionals, We are not your mental health professionals. We always recommend that you discuss these things with a licensed clinician. You can find out more about the work that Shauna is doing by checking out her latest book, Beyond the Military, A Leader's Handbook for Warrior Reintegration, and the work that I'm doing with my latest book, Military in the Rearview Mirror. Both are available on Amazon and we'll have links to those in the show notes. And always remember, you can connect with the Veteran Crisis Line by calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1. Chat online with them at veterancrisisline.net or texting 838255. Thanks again for joining us to talk about seeking the military suicide solution. And make sure to follow Military Times on social media to keep up with the latest shows. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, remember, you're not alone, ever.